Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hello, this is Lissa Sewa. I am research director and senior producer at Youth Radio in Oakland, California, a national youth-driven production company. And I am also a member of the Youth and Participatory Politics Research Network that is part of the Digital Media and Learning Initiative. And I'm really excited today to be talking to Dale Doherty about the maker movement. Hi, Dale. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm well. Um, so uh, Dale, as many of you probably know, is the founder, president, and CEO of Maker Media, uh, which is the creator of Make Magazine and the legendary Maker Fair, which just um, finished up its Bay Area uh, festival. Um, and Dale is also known for coining the term Web 2.0. So as you know, we're talking about connected learning. And um, I want to hear more about sort of the, the, the notion of learning um, that is that is sort of fundamental to your your approach to, to making and the maker movement. How, how did you think about learning in the early days of the maker movement and how, did, how has your thinking evolved? Well, I have to say that... Uh, that even the magazine originated uh, around probably my own interest in learning, um, but kind of this DIY learning. How do you learn to do things? How do you acquire uh, new skills, capabilities? And how, how do you, you know, but I really wanted to come at it more from this informal side of, um, you know, you, today there's such a wealth of information around. You can figure out how to do things. You can watch videos. And I just felt like we were, we were able to do things that perhaps uh, we might not have thought possible previously. And, and uh, that is a, a wonderful discovery for people, um, myself as well as others. And, you know, it might be like how to make cheese and how to make bread, but it can also be, you know, how to make a, a you know, a, an electronic gizmo or gadget uh, or how to make a robot. And, and I just saw these things all, all connected. And another important part of this was, was almost observational, uh, you know, looking at people that I thought, um, you know, they might call geeks um, and others, but, but I saw the, that one of the basic forms of interaction for them was play, that they, you know, they took a robot or they got a, a gaming console. They tried to, you know, understand how it worked and they tried to um, make it go or make it do things that they wanted it to do. Um, and and I, I, at the time we, we call that hacking, you know, to hack something is to make it, uh, make it do something that you want it to do. And I, and I, my original insight around the magazine was that people were going to hack the physical world, hack physical objects the way we were hacking software. Um, software lends itself to customization and personalization. Um, but I think the physical world is beginning to move in that direction, um, whether it's smart devices or whether it's new materials or whether it's just connected devices. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's kind of the basis for, for that. But I, I thought that the um, really the world of hobbies and the world of um, 
uh, a sort of individual pursuits is, is largely driven by by this learning that that we do to, to try to see if we can figure out something but it also connects us to other people and so what i you know feel like at the heart of the maker movement is something that's very personal that i get something out of it there's a real sense of satisfaction and reward but there's also something very social that i get recognition i connect to new people that i would have never met you know say through my family or or just even where i live but i connect to other people based on their interests and I think when I started this, I really wasn't thinking about children until I started Maker Fair. And, and then I, I thought, well, we wanna make this a family event. We don't want just uh, a techie event. We want families to come, kids in strollers, um, you know, on, all the way up to grandparents. And we want them to have fun and interact and discover what's here. And I think if you were at Maker Fair last weekend, we had 130,000 people over two days, it was, it was jam-packed um, with, with people and projects. And I, I think the whole idea is that it is a learning event. You go there to discover what people like you are doing. And I hope it inspires lots of people to think of themselves as makers. Absolutely. So, so you talk about uh, the personal being really important in the maker movement and the social um, and, and interests, right? It sounds like really being able to follow your interests. Yes. There's another term that you've used uh, as recently as an interview um, in the past week or so, which is that you, you say that making it when it happens inside schools, at least, needs to be subversive. Um, so I wondered if you could say a little bit more about yeah. that idea, especially if you think about some more uh, some school folks who might be alarmed at the idea that that that's the call that you're making about well, the kind of learning that should happen in schools. Yeah, um, you know, and and obviously when I when you use a term like schools, you can mean there are really good schools and there are really bad schools and there's all kinds of schools. But I, I think what I mean was was not so much that. It's inside of school is subversive. Subversive, I, I mean that um, it, it is um, making, making is going to cause a, a, a significant change in schools. Um, and I don't think it, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, the context of the remark was, I don't think you're seeing the Department of Ed and, and uh, the establishment in education saying, hey, we need more hands-on education. That's the secret to, to uh, improving the quality of education. We're seeing them talk about standardization. Right. And I, I believe that standardization is antithetical to creativity. I think mm -hmm. it's not, um, I think a creative act is a subversive act because it's causing change in society. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and if I apply that to more of a business context, innovation is also, you know, has that quality. We tend to use the words disruptive and in in that, but it it, it tends to um, it tends to undermine the status quo, the establishment. And I think uh, uh, I, you know, I'm just kind of saying that that's what it is. I don't think it's going to come in nicely, uh, like nicely dressed and sit down politely in the back of a classroom. I think it's going to take over the classroom, and kids will begin, you know, to demand that this is what schools should be about. And um, the other things will begin to be squeezed out. And I think the other context I use this term is, you know, the the really the as I may have said earlier, my, my focus is on encouraging people to see themselves as producers, not just consumers. Yeah. And so this this is subversive of consumer 
society. Um, you know, where where we're you know the idea of being a smart consumer and blah blah blah. You know, I really want people to discover that that they can create and make things that are meaningful to themselves and that process is valuable and the outcomes are, are valuable as well. And so, um, you, you know, I think if you go to Maker Faire, uh, it's a happy place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not oh, like- I've, I've been it's, several it's, times. Right, and it's, it's not like necessarily edgy or, or things, but you know, it can be uh, partially because when you take all that creativity and you put it together and concentrate it, it is like a fire hose of energy yeah. and, and it's, it's not something people are, are normally uh, uh, experiencing. Right. So, so maybe you can uh, give, give us an example for, for folks who maybe haven't been able to come to a maker fair or even those who've been to a maker fair, but maybe haven't seen how some of this stuff is playing out inside what we typically think of as more formal learning environments. What are some ways, what's an example of how you've seen young people start to bridge from their, you know, the making yeah. that they do in their personal and peer groups and what can happen inside schools? Well, I, you know, I'll tell you one example is a uh, young man, Joey Hudie, who is, who is becoming, uh, you know, uh, and I think he's 16 now, but I think when he was 13, he came to his first Maker Faire. And his mom described him as, as someone who was um, obviously smart, but disengaged in school, not happy to be there, didn't have peers. Um, but he would come home and start making things in his bedroom. And, and that was you know, it wasn't connected to maker movement. He was just, that's what he did. But when he walked into Maker Fair and he saw that other people do this, it just opened his eyes and he wasn't alone. And he started, um, it, it encouraged him to feel that, that this is not um, an unusual thing. It's something that he should take pride in and he mm -hmm. could share it with other people. And he, he began opening up at school about what he makes at home. And he began to find other people and they started a maker's club at his school. Um, and so they, they could, you know, meet and talk about what they do. And I, I think it, it, um, it actually led to better opportunities. He went to a different school because he, he needed something different from what his normal school offered. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think if, you know, for some people, it's a set of unique talents that is not discovered in the normal academic program of schools. And, uh, and I'm really fascinated by, by disengagement uh, in school. Um, I think, uh, what is it that engages um, students? Um, if we don't have their engagement, we don't have their attention and, and they're not learning. Um, and I think this is kind of this fundamental shift, I think from school as content delivery to really the cultivation of experiences, meaningful experiences and participation in things. And for me, the the, Organization is around projects and getting students engaged in projects and schools do some of that, um, you know, but a lot of the, the media that they use is strictly pen and paper, you know, you write an essay, but, you know, you could create 3D printed objects, you could create, use, uh, you know, different tools like wood or plastic or metal or glass to create things that are expressive and, and, and perhaps relate to a subject uh, that is being taught in school. Certainly uh, I, from a science and technology yeah. and math point of view, um, it's providing a context for some of that that I think students often aren't choosing on their own to explore. Um, uh, this is, you know, someone said, this is like practice over theory. 
and mm. we tend to teach theory in school and we never get to practice. And, and I think that's <laughs> that, that, that making is kind of flipping that and saying by repeated practice and engagement, you begin to you know, understand uh, and, and um, incorporate what might be called theory or concepts, but uh, you know, we, we get them going. Um, one of the things that's really important to me um, in, uh, that we have focused on a lot in promoting is the idea of maker spaces in schools. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe every school in America should have a makerspace. I don't care if it's, you know, um, you know, small or large or it has 3D printers or not. I just think to some degree it's the new kind of library for schools where you look at this media not being books but being other things like tools that enable kids to work on projects and give them the time and the space and the opportunity to do this. And I, I really believe that this will serve their interests and, and the community's interests because when, when we see what kids can do uh, and, and they begin to kind of curate their, what they're capable of doing, um, you know, it's very different than, than say, say, the standardized approach where you're just passing a test and, and you're getting, you know, judged. Um, you know, this, this can, can, you know, really exhibit many of the ta different talents that, that students have. And, you know, last year, uh, in, in last summer, uh, MIT announced that they're offering a maker portfolio option or supplement to the admissions process, which means that um, students can, can uh, provide a short description and a link to a project, uh, you know, uh, they've done. And this isn't driven just to please students. It's actually faculty saying, you know, we want more students who are uh, practice at making things. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that everybody that goes to MIT should be a maker, as, as we use the term, but they want more makers. Yeah. They want to adjust the population a bit because if you're teaching a class of machine design, you want kids that like machines that have yeah. spent some time understanding them. You know, it's not just a theoretical discussion. So, so you talked about um, the new library, right? That the, some, one way to think about makerspaces inside schools is that they're kind of like the new library. Right. We're also starting to see makerspaces opening up inside public libraries. Um, I'm not sure how much you're tracking that, but yeah, what, what is, is there something about libraries that, that fit with this notion of, well, of makerspaces? You no, know, I've spoken to ALA. I, we just did it at MakerCon. Um, uh, MakerCon is a conference before Maker Faire, um, sort of for leaders and organizers in the maker movement. And, you know, I had a, a woman heading up the Idaho public library system. They're talking about how they were moving maker spaces into, you know, their 11 districts or whatever it was. And, you know, we, I, you know, the funny thing about it, I've always been a, a big fan of libraries. Uh, you know, just even as a kid, getting a library card was such an exciting uh, thing. And and uh, um, and I I think they are sometimes not burdened by the uh, educational frameworks that schools are. In other mm -hmm. words, it's it's hard. You know, they sort of get this informal learning side, uh, whereas I think schools don't get that. Um, they're sort of doubling down on you know new standards and new textbooks. And, um, you know, I think the library sees people coming in that are curious and they're exploring a problem or solution and books are the answer, the internet provides the answers. But uh, 
um, you know, increasingly the library can be a, a place where people um, uh, come together to learn from each other and and work together on projects. So I think it's it's still I'd say at an experimental phase, but you know, a lot of these large organizations that that um, service librarians and, and libraries are getting on board with this and looking at ways of promoting it. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it's be becoming um, a way for libraries to reinvent themselves and become relevant in the 21st century. And, you know, I go back to this, there's a, my friend Jay Werner, uh, is at Pittsburgh Children's Museum, and it's right next door to the, the first Carnegie Library in, in Pittsburgh. And, you know, the story of it is, is it, is a man began opening a building on Saturdays for the working poor, you know, that he, he had, you know, young boys coming in who were, you know, really child laborers that, that he wanted them to get an education mm. through books. And he just began opening on Saturdays. And Andrew Carnegie was one of those boys, you know, who came wow. in and, and he said, you know, by learning that way, he was able to, you know, really become one of the wealthiest men in the world. And that's why he, he, he established the Carnegie Libraries. So, you know, yeah. we, we want in our communities places where kids on their own volition can walk in and say, this is interesting to me. You know, my fear just to connect around Maker Faire is kids leave Maker Faire all motivated, inspired. And they say, well, okay, where, where do I go to do this? Right. Where do I acquire these skills? Because I want to be one of these people. And it really bothers me that I can't say go to your school, you know, um, right. you know, and some of them can't do it at home. Uh, some can, but many can't. And so where in the community are we going to help support the development of young people? And let me take that thread that you raised um, with the Carnegie story. Um, picking up on a few days ago, there was a piece in Time, I'm sure you saw that, yes. that expressed some, some concern about um, the lack of demographic diversity at the, at the past weekend's Maker Faire. Now, the story that you just told me, of course, was one of, you know, making coming out of engagement with, you know, low-income communities. We see tremendous making happening um, in communities that aren't always, um, you know, highlighted within um, coverage of the Maker Movement. Tell yeah. me, say something about um, your thoughts on that that kind of critique. Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's an important issue, and I, I think it's accurate. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think, but it's two things. I don't think, um, for instance, that the uh, I, I think make you know Maker Fair in Silicon Valley reflects Silicon Valley. You know, and and uh, you know if you were to go in and look any inside any of the companies there, you'd see, you'd see the same kind of issues. You know, it's diverse in certain ways, but. You know, to put on the table, we're missing African Americans. You know, and to some degree Latinos, um, and and I think, you know, it is how how do we engage those communities more? Um, I believe it's through education and, and our efforts through outreach through science centers and um, and through community centers, boys and girls clubs, uh, uh, schools. It's going to take a while, and and it won't be something we can just you know, press a button and it happens because it really is structural. And, and I think that's why we, we, I care so much about education. We set up, um, I set up a maker education initiative and our goal is to, you know, engage uh, 
um, kids, particularly disadvantaged kids in communities, give them the experiences of making, whether it's through summer camps, summer programs, after school programs, and to develop a, a core of mentors that, that can work with kids and largely, you know, college students and others that are becoming makers want to share their skills. So it's, um, you know, I, I think it's something we're always aware of. It, you know, as I said, the technology industry hasn't necessarily been um, an opportunity for everyone in our community. And, and I, but I believe that the maker movement has something different about it, that it's more inclusive. It's more inclusive of skills and backgrounds and um, that it, it can be kind of a driving force to greater diversity in, in the kind of society we're creating, which is based on science and technology. So in terms of those pathways to opportunity, are there, you know, specific examples that you could point to or just your thoughts on the ways in which um, being a part of uh, making as a young person can actually unlock access to economic opportunity, to whether it's, you know, social capital or jobs or networks, you know, say something about. Well, I think all those things, like. but I mean, the specific examples are places like Lighthouse Charter in Oakland, where you know, they began um, um, bringing their kids to Maker Fair, and then we worked to develop a program of young makers where, where they are working on projects throughout the year that they can bring to Maker Fair. And, um, and apart from Maker Fair, it, it's expanded um, to creating a space there, a creativity lab where it's going on um, and it's exposed to, to more of the kids in the school. It began as there was a robotics class that added making um, and um, Aaron, the, the teacher there, uh, began adapting it. And, you know, they could see that making was adding um, uh, interest for, for kids and, and, um, and more, more kids wanted to do it. So they began uh, breaking that out. But, um, you know, the, the, the beauty of making in many ways, and I see this like at some of the, I do a maker camp up here for, for young kids and, you know, like middle school kids. And, and um you know, it gives them an opportunity to develop confidence and in, in their own ability. It 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 connects them to, um, I think, science and technology in ways that they may not have made the connection. Uh, you know, one of the things we do at the campus we have science and technology teachers from say the high school participate, and they get to know them as people, and and both the teachers get to see making and its power with kids. And there's something that making. I, I feel like we can start almost any person at any stage of their life in making without a lot of prerequisites, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes I think my feeling with kids is they've, they felt defeated by school. You know, they felt like they're not good at math or they're not good at this. And so why would they take more challenging subjects when they've been told they're not very good? And, you know, whereas I want to, I want to turn that around and, and really my, my goal with many of them is, you know, all of them is, is to turn them into self-directed learners where, they have goals and and they begin you know setting their own path uh that that uh you know again talking about new projects things they'd like to do and and i think they will begin to challenge themselves and in that context with other people um do things that get them recognition for who they are and what they really like to do which circles us back to where we started right on this notion of, of subversive where we will create learners that are creating their own paths right. and opening opportunities for others. So right. um, 
I think it's time for us to sign off, but is there anything else that you want to add, Dale, anything that we didn't touch on that you think is really critical, especially with respect to how learning factors um, in your thinking and your work towards building this movement? No, the the last thing I'll say is, you know, in some ways, this is an old idea, you know, in new clothing. You know, this is, this is John Dewey's learn by doing, but I think um, we should understand it differently than, than Dewey did in his day. Um, we have, you know, cognitive science and, and others that I, I think are actually supporting this idea of almost Im- some call it embodied learning, not just hands-on learning, you know, that, that, you know, that when we really engage kids with their physical body and their mind, you know, we're, we're, it, it is really a holistic approach to learning. And we know that the brain lights up when your hands are involved, you know, we know that uh, when you move around, rather than sitting in a seat, you are, you are uh, um, seeing the world differently and, and more actively. So I, I believe that there's an opportunity here to not just say we're doing something that is old fashioned or, you know, traditional, it connects to that. And I think some of its powers, people in their gut appreciate that. But I think we're also doing something that's advanced. And, and it, we're trying to reinvent learning based on the way kids learn and want to learn, not based on old ideas that um, uh, many of which in, embodied in traditional academics, you know, have more to do with, with content than about learning. That's great. Thank you, Dale. Thanks for taking time to share these thoughts. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.